Hello, and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today is week four of our current series, When Waters Rise. Pastor Jose is delivering a message titled, When People Bring Storms into Your Life. We hope you enjoyed today's word. Amen. All right, come on. Tell somebody, I am so glad you are here today. All right, that was weak. That was weak. You know, it's one thing to tell somebody, I'm glad that you're here today. It's nothing to say to somebody, I'm glad you're here today. That's not who we are at Church at the Bridge. Let's try that again. Tell somebody, I am glad you are here today. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, here at Church at the Bridge, we believe what we teach and we believe what we've been called to. And we believe that God has called us not just to connect with him, to grow in relationship with him, but also to grow in relationship with each other. There's resources, there's strength in that. And whether you know it or not, I know you believe, some of you believe you came to church. And what I want to just encourage you with is the truth is that you brought the church here. Because you are the church. And so there's strength, there's encouragement, there's love, there's support right here in you. I didn't bring it, you brought it. I play a part in it, right? And so we are in for a good time today. We've been on a series the last couple of weeks entitled, When Waters Rise. And what we've really been looking at is how to face difficulty, how to face the storms, so to speak, of life. And what we've been doing is looking at the lives of several people that found themselves in the midst of serious trouble while engulfed by turbulent waters. And so in week one of this series, and I want to encourage you, go and check out the podcast, go to Facebook, go online. There's many different resources that we have available to you. You can get the app if you need help with that. Stop by Get Services. We'll get you plugged into that. But in week one, we looked at the life of Peter, the instance where Peter walked on water. And what we learned was that everyone is affected by storms. So, for example, if snow comes, oh, you'll feel the snow, right? It'll be in your vicinity. But that doesn't mean that you and I have to be affected by these storms. And so we learn from the life of Peter that just because you're following Jesus, just because you're going where Jesus is going, doesn't mean that you will not be affected by trials in life. But you and I have to make the choice if we are affected by them, right? In week two, we learned of the most drastic type of storm that anybody can encounter. It's not based on the wind, on the rain. It's not based on waters. It's not based on snow. It's the storms that we create. And we looked at the life of Jonah, and we learned a lot of practical tools about how to face the storms that we create, how to get out of them. In week three, we looked at the instance of the disciples on the boat with Jesus. Jesus is sleeping, resting in the midst of a storm, and these guys are bugging out. They are frantic, and it was because they forgot who was with them. The truth that we learn from this is that when you are going where God tells you to, when you're doing what God tells you to, opposition is going to come. You can expect it. You can believe that God has a good plan for your life, but you can also believe that there's an enemy that doesn't want you to live it out. And so opposition will come, and we have to know how to stand in the face of it. Well, today we're going to be talking on the subject of when people bring storms into your life. When people bring storms into your life. And we're going to be looking at the life of a guy named Paul. And this guy, Paul, as you'll see today, finds himself in the midst of a catastrophic, uh, catastrophic uh, storm, but it came at the hands of the people around him. He had a way out. 
while he knew the way out, he did not have a way out because he was subject to the decisions of others. So as we get started here, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. And I want you to just kind of internalize these questions and see if you can relate to any of these. Have you ever had someone do something to hurt you when all you were trying to do was help them? You ever been there, right? Have you ever been affected by someone else's problems to the extent that they become your problems, right? You've been there? I think we've all been there. <laughs> Excuse me. Have you ever had someone lie about you, betray you, purposely or unknowingly bring harm to your life, right? I think that we can all relate in this, that if we answered yes to any of these questions, and there are many different other scenarios, the truth is that we all can understand that even when you are choosing peace, even when you are doing what's right, even when you are following God, even when you are avoiding the problem and instead bringing solutions, there will be storms that people will bring into your life. But the truth is that you and I must know how to respond. We have to know how to face those storms. And so uh, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 27. And we're going to be reading verses 9 through 44. I know it's quite a lengthy uh, portion of Scripture, but listen, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's good, and so you and I can get something out of it. And while you turn there, uh, I want to just kind of clue you into the fact that this guy, Paul, was a man that followed after God. This was a man that was used by God to do the miraculous, just like you. You're a walking miracle. There's something that you bring with this gospel and the impact that it's having in your life that has the power to transform and change and bring solutions to the lives of others. And so this guy, Paul, uh, was used by God, just like you. But this guy, Paul, also operated at a higher plane of relationship with God than most today. And yet, what we're going to see is that he, too, underwent problems that he didn't necessarily create. He didn't ask for them. He didn't want them. And yet, they came at the hands of others. So turn with me to Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 9. (coughs) Bear with me while we're reading this. It says, Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. And so Paul warned them. Let me back up here because I I neglected to mention something. The The background story here is that Paul is under arrest. Now, Paul is in his older age. This guy's already gone on three. He's on his third missionary journey spreading the gospel, right? And when he gets to this place called Ephesus, you know, these great miracles happen and he's declaring the gospel and and you've got sorcerers taking their books and they're burning them and renouncing them and turning to Christ. And so the whole uh, region of Ephesus is turned topsy-turvy. And then all of a sudden, the uh, silversmiths who used to create these statues to a goddess that they called Diana has sort of a, a union meeting. He gets everybody together. He says, hey, man, everybody's believing in Jesus, and we're not selling our statues. And the guy who's at fault in all this is this guy named Paul. And so... He starts to rile up all the people. It gets to such an extent that the book of Acts records that the people start to follow the crowd without even really knowing what what the problem is. 
And everybody just kind of gets out into the square of the city and they all begin to cry out, great is Diana, great is Diana, and a riot breaks out. And the the, the crowd just kind of follows what everyone else is doing and they get to the home of two friends of Paul who were innocent in the matter and they drag these guys out and they're trying to get to Paul and Paul wants to get there to help them. And the Bible says that the the other disciples there tell him, no, you got to go. And so Paul leaves. Well, if you study this out, according to biblical history, what you'll see is that Paul eventually gets arrested. This is the second time that he's arrested. And now uh, the, the Jewish religious elite, you know, the, 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 the people that led the, the Jewish uh, religious crowd, the Pharisees and Sadducees, these people get indignant and they start accusing him of all this stuff. And according to Jewish law, the sentence was death. And so Paul says, wait. I may be Hebrew, but I was born in Rome. And so he says, I am going to exercise my right. It is my right to have a trial before Caesar himself. And so he appeals to Caesar. And at that point, it ties the hands of the Jewish religious elite. And they say, well, we got to ship him off to Rome. And so what we're reading now is Paul is on his way to Rome. And while he's on his way to Rome... Uh, it's late in the season. You're going to see that it, it, the Bible tells us that it, it says that it's after the Day of Atonement. Here's what that means. It's late October going into November. And what you might not know according to this stuff, I told you I'm a geek, right? What, what, what you might not know about this stuff is this, that back in those days, there was no sailing at this time. The only merchant sailors that would sail came at the behest of Caesar because he was in a rush to get grain or supplies to a different area, and so he'd pay extra. And so this ship that Paul's going to find himself in isn't even supposed to be there. So let's watch what happens. Hope I didn't bore you with that, right? So starting again at verse 9, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. And so Paul warned them. He says, men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So Paul has a revelation from God. He realizes something and he's sharing it with these guys. Verse 11, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot or the captain of the ship and the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing by southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. And so they weighed the anchor. In other words, they pulled it up and sailed along the shore of Crete. And before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. And the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. And so it's in a tailspin. And so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Coda, uh, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. And so the men hoisted it aboard. They passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. And they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. 
On the third day, they threw, uh, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given the lives of all who sail with you. And so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Verse 27, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said this to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, um, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Man, I wish I would have, you know. Anyway, sorry. That was just a reflection on, you know. But anyway, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he had said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. Uh, the sheep, the, but the ship struck a sandbar and run aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to, pre- to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on the pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. 
A lot going on here. But I want you to see that while en route, Paul gets caught in a really bad storm. But here's the thing. It's a storm that could have taken his life and the life of many others. And the truth is that life is a lot like this instance in Paul's life. People's choices do impact us. They do. People's choices do impact us. There's a reason why the Word of God calls us to be wise in the midst of our relationships. There's a reason why the Bible tells us that as long as we can walk in peace with another, we should do it to the extent that's possible. In this case, Paul finds himself in a bind. He's in chains, and he did not choose to wear them. He accepted them. He accepted that there was a plan and a purpose when he would reach Rome, that God would use him greatly. But Paul found himself in a situation that he could not control. And so the thing about it is that I've heard many people uh, in the midst of troubles ascribe to God the evil that people do. It kind of sounds like this. Why did God do this? Or if you want to get real spiritual, well, why did God allow it? As if somehow God has a purpose in your demise. As if somehow God is not a loving God and he's a child abuser. Right? I I can guarantee you, for those of you that are parents, you will not abuse your child. I hope you don't. Right? But I can guarantee you that that's not your heart. What makes us think that that's God's heart? That's not how God works. Right? It sounds like this. Why did God allow this? Where was God? I mean, there's so many different things that we ascribe to God. We even have in our insurance policies, written in fine print, if by an act of God, this were to happen, as if God did it, right? And the reality is that God had nothing to do with it. See, bad things happen to God's people at the hands of others. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. That's the truth. It happened to Jesus at the hands of others, right? And we see examples of this all throughout history. Consider verses 10 through 12. If we could just put that up real quick in Acts 27. It says, so Paul tells them, look, I see what's about to happen. I've got a revelation. And here's what's going to happen, right? Uh, it's, th- this storm is going it, it, to going to be disastrous, and it's going to bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our lives also. Uh, verse 11, please. But then, it, but then it goes on to say, but the centurion, watch this, the guy who's got him in chains, instead of listening to what Paul said, instead of heeding to the revelation of God, what did he do? He followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Listen to verse 12. It says, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter, and watch this, the majority decided that we should sail. The majority. And so Paul has this revelation of God and there's all these people around him. All these people that have all this expertise. They sail the seas. They know how to weather their storms. And Paul finds himself in the midst of this and he says, guys, let me just share with you what I know about Revelation. This is going to lead to disaster. We should stay here for the winter. We should weather it out here. And 
the centurion says, Paul or the majority? Paul or the majority? What Paul says God showed him or the majority? You know, if we're not careful, we can do that too in life. We, we, we gather up our little circle of, you know, uh, prayer warriors and people that we, you know, we, we trust and all that. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with having that support system. But when you glean what they deem to be wisdom, do you go back and match it up or what, against what God said? Listen, I love the body of Christ. I, I have many people that I can lean on and that I do lean on. But just because you said it doesn't mean that God told me. You've got to pause and go back to the word. God, is this you speaking to me? There's wisdom in that, right? And so this guy does like some of us have done. We go, well, I know what the word says, and I know what I'm being taught, and I, I hear the wisdom in what you're saying, but everybody else seems to think this is all right. See, Paul had no say in this matter, but I want you to realize something. Neither did God. Neither did God. God gave Paul insight, and he was faithful to provide it to these men, but ultimately these men made a choice. And I want you to see that their choice was going to lead everyone to die if not for them heeding to the wisdom that Paul had from God in the midst of the storm that he shared with them right? Deuteronomy 30 verses 17 through 19 puts it this way. It says, but if your heart, whose heart? My heart, right? Yeah, my heart, right? But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, let me translate that for you. If your heart turns away from what God is telling you, right? And if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, and in this case, it might not be a God. It might be people. It might be your desires. It might be what you want. It might be what people say. It might be what, the, what everyone says is acceptable and, and normal and right. Verse 18 says, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say, I will destroy you. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Watch this. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I have set before you what? Life and death. Now watch this. Here's the kicker. Blessings and cursings. Now watch this. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Whose choice is it there? It's ours, right? Let's make that personal. It's my choice, right? Say that with me. It's my choice. And while this is under the Old Testament, a different set of rules, you got to understand something, that God honors the choices of men. God doesn't go, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow this really dumb choice so that I can show myself strong in the midst of this and teach them something by this calamity. It's not God. But I will tell you this. God honors the choices of men. That's love. It is love. 
God honors the choices of men. So what I want you to see is that God doesn't make bad choices for people. People make bad choices for people. People make bad choices for people. Right? And this is where Paul found himself. Listen to verses 11 and 12. I know we read it, but I want you to see. It says that the centurion, instead of listening to what people said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided we should sail on. And they had a hope that they would reach Phoenix and winter there. They had a hope. They had a desire. They believed we can do this. And Paul's saying, we can't, guys. We can't. We can't. Now, listen, I can assure you that none of these men had the intention of leading into a storm that would destroy everyone. Right? There may have been some selfish desires at work there to earn some extra money, right? Weathering, you know, going through this season when you're not supposed to be sailing. But they weren't trying to crash. They were trying to avoid a harsh winter in an unsuitable place to harbor their ship. You know, sometimes people mean well, but that doesn't mean it's good. And that doesn't mean it's right. People mean well, but it doesn't always end up well, right? And so you may find yourself in a situation where you are subject to the choices somebody else has made. It's unfortunate, but sometimes we've even had choices that were made for us growing up that defined a certain way of belief and thinking and habits and approach to things. Listen, you may have been subject to their choices, but the Bible says that you are free and you are free indeed. You can make another choice. You can make a better choice. You don't have to choose what's been chosen for you. You can live freely. There's freedom in Christ. But see, the reason the results ended in destruction wasn't because they meant for it to happen. They ended in destruction because these men disregarded the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Which leads us to an important question. What do you do when you find yourself in a storm that people created? I am so glad you thought that. And I heard it. Right? I want you to notice from the text from the text that we read earlier, that everyone on this ship is in turmoil. Everyone is literally in a place of panic and anxiety. They are writing out their obituaries. They are ready to die, right? And as the situation gets worse, right, what begins to happen is this. I I want you to imagine the desperation that they find themselves in. We have no control at this point. We're all going to die. We we feel the wind. The waves are crashing. Everything is going haywire. What are we going to do? And in their desperation, the scriptures tell us that these guys begin to plot, well, you know what? A few of us, we can get away. We'll just take the lifeboat. Right? Forget everybody else. It's every man for himself. It's you, me, our four, and no more. Forget the rest of the 266 people that we're leaving behind. Right? And so everybody's going for theirs. Clinging, vomiting, whatever you want to call it. I know it's graphic. This stuff happens. Right? If you read the scriptures, what you'll see is that they were in a storm for 14 days. 
We get a nor'easter for one day and we go, oh my God, the world is going to end. Please. It's not that serious. Right? And so, verse 20 tells us that eventually the worst happens. They've thrown out the cargo. They've, they've tried to drop the anchors and do whatever. And everything's going haywire. They're throwing the tackle out. And then the worst happens. Listen to verse 20. It says, when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging. Watch how it got worse. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. In essence, everyone accepts the consequences for the choices of others. This is my life. I can't do anything about this. Here's what it sounds like. You don't understand how I was brought up. You don't understand what they're doing to me. You don't understand how this system works. I get it. There are challenges. But believer, it's time that you begin to believe what the Word says and you rise up again and again and again and again and again. Don't give up. Stand fast. Trust God. Like Jesus said, only believe. And so in essence, everyone accepts the consequences of the choices of others. Everyone gives in to the despair. Everyone stops caring. Everyone believes they can't make it out. Everyone except Paul. Everyone except Paul. See, while everyone has succumbed to the power of the winds and the waves, the panic and the fear, the storm that's raging, the fear within, the anxiety, the worry, the stories that they're creating, all this, while everybody's succumbed to that, Paul remains above the winds and waves and proceeds and peace and with the wisdom of God. And we have to explore why? I'm going to take you back to some verses that we read. In verse 21 through 26, Paul gets up while everybody's down and out. And he said, it says that after they had gone a long time without food, that Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. I don't believe that he was rubbing it in their face. I believe what he was saying was, you can trust what I'm about to tell you. So watch what he says. He says, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss, but now I urge you to keep up your courage. Don't be afraid because not one of you will be lost. Now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta just pause there for a moment and I want you to just put yourself in this situation where you feel like you're hopeless and helpless. You're ready to die. The fear is real. The panic is there. The winds are crashing against you. You feel, you you can taste the salt. You're tired. You're weary. You're starving. You're weak. And somebody says, we're not going to die. That'll get your attention. And so Paul says, none of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And watch what he says. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, 
do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. In other words, the ship is going to be destroyed, but we're going to live. You know, Paul teaches us a valuable lesson here. When people bring storms into your life, it's up to you to be anchored. Let me tell you what I mean by that. From the words of Paul, we see that he was ready for this storm well before these people led him into the wind and waves. He was prepared. While the wind and the waves and everything is crashing down and everybody's giving up, Paul is holding on to something greater. To such an extent that he says, guys, take courage. We're going to make it. You know, Hebrews chapter 6, 19 through 20 tells us this. It says, we have this hope as an anchor. Watch this. For the soul. You know what it's talking about? Your mind. When everything's going wrong and people are bringing all this drama and, oh, mama, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. Everything's going to bits and pieces. My life is a wreck. I didn't choose this. I don't deserve this. When everything's going wrong, the Bible says that you have this hope. What hope? We'll read it in a second. As an anchor for everything that's racing through your mind. It says that this anchor is firm and secure. Watch this. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I just heard somebody say, I don't get it. All right. That's cool. I'll explain it. I'm glad you brought that up because it it warrants us understanding what he's talking about. Paul here is alluding to how Jesus has now become our high priest. Quick geek fact, right? Back in those days, the high priest was the person who went into what was known as the Holy of Holies. And he would go and he would present the blood and the sacrifices before God. He would do that once a year, right? And so that was his job, and he would minister to the Lord. He would prepare the incenses and all that, all that, all the sacrifices, and the people would bring these things, and God would forgive them. He would atone for their weaknesses and their sicknesses. But this guy had to do this repeatedly. And the book of Hebrews is an eloquent breakdown. It, it, it's an it's eye-opening revelation that Jesus did what no high priest as a man could do. Jesus went into the Holy of Holies, presented his own blood as a sacrifice, and from that day forward, it was done. And so now he's in the presence of God, and the Bible tells us that he makes daily intercession for us. He's always saying, God, here's what I did for them. God, they're forgiven. God, they're righteous. God, they're loved. God, they're healed. God, they're protected. God, they have our peace. God, we live inside of them. And so he's firmly secure at the right hand of the Father. And the scripture says this, that what he's done is so complete that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
And so watch this. What the writer of Hebrews is revealing here is that Jesus has gone into the presence of God and he remains there. And what he's done is complete. And the Bible tells us this, that we have this hope that what Jesus did has firmly and forever joined us to the Father to such an extent that in the most difficult times when everything's raging here, all we have to do is remember is I'm anchored to God. I'm anchored. I'm going to make this. I'm okay. It's all right. I'm good. And so there were anchors that Paul held to that kept him steady and empowered him to rise and weather the storm that these people, in essence, brought. And I want to look at those things, and it's just four simple things. You all right? That okay? Yeah? Okay. The first one that's necessary as an anchor to weather the storm that people bring into your life is this. Don't ever forget that God is still present and at work. Wow, I know that wasn't so deep. I get it. But I want you to hear what I'm saying here. While everyone is preparing for their death, and they are overwhelmed and overrun and overtaken by the circumstances, Paul was anchored to the one who stood beside him. And so he says, take courage. Let's put up verse 23 real quick in Acts 27. Thank you. It says, last night an angel of the Lord, of of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. Listen, don't you know that no matter what drama people bring your way, there is a greater one standing not just beside you, but living within you. Within you. Now, we got to be careful about this. And I'm not asking you to shout yourself out, and please don't shout anybody else out. But I want you to consider this. Isn't it true that sometimes the circumstances appear bigger than God? Think about this. This problem is so big. I'm so afraid. I'm so overwhelmed. I can't. And what we're failing to realize is how much bigger God is. How much bigger God is. How much greater His resources are. How much more strength we draw from Him than from people. And so Paul had confidence that they would make it But it was because he was aware that God and his resources were with him. You know, it's a good way to think about this. Please don't tell on yourself. But doesn't it feel good when you got a a lot of extra money in your pocket? You know what that is? Confidence. Let me tell you, you serve a God that exceeds any value that you can put in money, in people, in resources, in homes, in possessions, he is with you always. About four of you got that one. Listen, Paul had confidence that they'd make it because he was aware 
he lived with an awareness that God was with him. You know, King David was a man of great resources, great successes on the battlefield and in life. And he also failed, faced a lot of challenges. But it was because of the awareness that he maintained of God's presence. Psalm 18.29 reveals that to us, just as one example, where it says, With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. He's not talking about a little four-foot wall. He's talking about the side of a fortress. See, you can make it when people are throwing storms your way because God is still present. Don't miss this. God is still with you. You might move with the waves and the winds, but he's moving with you. What does that tell us? There's always a way out. There's always peace available. There's always strength available. There's always wisdom available. Now, maybe you don't believe in this stuff. Maybe you struggle with what we're talking about here. Well, let me ask you a question. How's it working out for you without God? There's no judgment in that. No condemnation. But I want you to think, how's it working for you without God? How's it working for you with what you are anchoring yourself to? Is your, is, your, is your life better off? Or do you have more problems? Right? And so we got to remember that God is still present. And whether you believe in God or not, here's the beauty about God. He's still present. And he's still at work. He's still at work. Maybe that's why you're here today. It reminds me of a story I read a while back, and I think at some point I've shared it. It's a short one, but there's a story that I read about uh, many years ago about a man who uh, was uh, uh, subject to, the, to an attack, uh, the bombing of the Blitzkrieg back in World War I. And he's holding on to his son, and the way uh, he, he recounts it, he's running with his son in tow, kind of dragging him along the way, trying to get away from a building that was just bombed. And he happens to see a shell hole, which is basically where a bomb had previously landed, right? And all this, they're raining fire, all these bullets down, and this guy's running with his son, and he sees the shell hole, and he dives in. And he dives in, and there's all this smoke and all this fire and all this stuff, and when he dives in, he assumes that his son is going to dive in with him. And so he's in the hole, and he's saying, son, jump, jump, son, jump, come here, jump. And he says, dad, I can't see you. And the father says, but I can see you. Jump. And the kid jumps in. The reason why I share that with you is because, look, the truth is we do undergo attacks. We do undergo difficulties. But just remember that even when you can't see God, You can't understand how God is leading you. It doesn't make sense. The greater thing is that he sees you, that he's with you, and that he says, just jump, come with me. Amen? Amen. And so think about this. God is still present, and he's at work. The second thing I want you to see that was an anchor in Paul's life and is an anchor to you and I as well Going back to verse 23, if you can put that up, is this. Watch, watch what Paul says in verse 23. He says, last night an angel of the Lord God to whom I belong. 
to whom I belong. This God who, to whom I belong and whom I serve, he stood right there with me. Listen, you've got to remember that you belong to God. You belong to God. I said, you belong to God. Paul knew that the destruction was imminent because of the choices of these men. But Paul remained anchored because he knew that he belonged to God, not to the men who placed him in chains, and certainly not to the storm. You know, I remember many years ago uh, when when we first were getting started, me and my wife, uh, we lived in a studio apartment on 194th Street and Marion Avenue in the Bronx. Some of you might, that doesn't mean anything to you. Let me just tell you, that was pretty close to hell on earth. The mice, they waved at you every morning. Good morning. Squeak, 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 squeak. Right? The roaches were creep up and go, come on, hurry up and get out of here. It's time to eat. Right? And we did our best to maintain what we had, the very little we had. But we were in a studio apartment, and it was tight. Money was tight. Life was difficult. And you got to understand that I grew up with a mentality that everybody else could be blessed but me. I believed just based based on my upbringing and the choices that were made for me and that I was subject to growing up, that I was destined for poverty. I was destined to struggle. I was destined for hardship. I was destined for, uh, you know, uh, my anger and all these other things. And it was just, this is just the way life is. To such an extent that years later when my wife started talking about, hey, I really sense that God is leading us to move and to purchase a home. I said, let me pray about that. I got real spiritual. But in my mind, I said, that can't be God because God ain't that good to me. And so listen, there was a time in my life where that's what life was. But I remember that my wife would constantly encourage me. And to me, it was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and she was consistent with her belief in God and her faith in God. And she said, there's better for us. There's better for us. And it came to a point where we didn't even have a car, man. We didn't even have a car. Like, times were rough, right? And, and we would take, my wife would take two buses and two trains to get the kids to school, right, to the, to the, to the babysitter, to then take the, the, the transportation to work. And I would take another two trains and a, a bus to, to get to work and all that. It was just hard. It was hard. And I remember my wife started talking about, it's time to buy a car. And I said, not us. I said, not us. Mind you, I want you to see, because, you know, we, we, we say, oh, that, 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 that's my story. You know, that, that, that's my business. But my kids were growing up watching this. And my wife kept, you know, pressing and, God, it's time to buy a car. God provides. We can do it. Look, let me show you. We can do it. And in my mind, I was so convinced we can't. And then one day I got real spiritual and said, 
We're going to buy a car. But the limit is only $8,000. That's what we're going to buy. And we're going to finance it. And with my credit, we'll be paying that sucker for the rest of our lives. I believed that. I mean, I was convinced I'm destined to struggle. Long story short, my wife was just like, you know what? I'm going to leave you to God. My, my wife has this saying, God, that's your son. You speak to him. You speak to him, God. He's your son. He belongs to you. Well, long, long story short, one day in the middle of a snowstorm of all days, right, President's Day sale on Mitsubishi's in midtown Manhattan. And to this day, I'm not sure if it was God who placed it there or if it was my wife, but there was a circular, right? <laughs> And I saw the sale, and everybody was sleeping, so either she planned this out real well or, no, I know it was the Lord. I know she played a part in it, but you know what? God is good. And I happened to get up this morning early like I usually did, and I'm making some coffee and making some breakfast, and it's just me and the mice, right? (laughs) And I happened to look on our washer, because we didn't have a dryer. We only had a washer, right? I look on the top on the top of the washer and I see this. And I said, God, I'm gonna trust you. And I start getting dressed, and my wife wakes up. She goes, Where are you going? It's a snowstorm outside. I said, I'm going to buy a car. She stood real quiet. Look, long story short. I go, I walk in there, I tell the guy, this is my budget, $8,000, this is all I can afford. The guy says, sit in this car. And I said, I don't want to sit in that car. You don't understand. That car is $18,000. I'm working with an $8,000 budget. That will leave me at about a $90 payment for the next six years or so. 80 bucks, whatever it was. And the guy says to me, no, 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 sit in this car. Just, just sit in it. No, let me tell you why he's a good salesman. Because God was using him. Because up until that point, my vision was restricted to little. In my view, God was a little God. I sat in this car, and I remember my tears just starting to get, my my eyes just start to get red. And I said, God, is it possible? And I said, well, let's see. Do you know that I walked out with a brand new car, right? And and it wasn't a struggle either. It wasn't a struggle to maintain this car. I remember the next day my kids getting in the car to go to school, and we're driving by the bus stop, and they said, bye-bye, bus stop. Listen, You got to know who you belong to, and you got to know how good you got it. Romans 8, 35 and verses 37 through 39 says this in verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Watch verse 37. It says, no, despite all these things, 
overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, when you know who you belong to, you better praise God. And you know that nothing can change that. You will face the storms of life that people throw your way and you will rise again and again and again. Every day you wake up, you look out. And what you're going to see is that there's a horizon. And it's a promise that reminds you there's another day ahead for you. You're not done. I got to wrap up here because I I took some liberties today. Listen, you got to be anchored to the fact that you have purpose. You have purpose. Verse 24, it says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. What you might not know is this, that while Paul was heading to go before Caesar... Paul also had an appointment with a people in Rome that had heard about Christ and some of them had believed, but they did not understand the truth. And for two years, Paul was able to minister in the most heathen place of all and raise up a banner and bring salvation and transformation and healing to a people that did not know how near God was. You have a purpose Everyone has given up on this ship when Paul's there. But Paul is looking up. He's anchored to something higher. He knows that God has purposes for his life and that there is still more that God has to accomplish for him and through him. You better know. If you don't know, you better start telling yourself, I'm not done yet. God, there's still more that you want to accomplish. There's still more people to reach. There's still more to grow. There's still more to know. And so Paul, in essence, says, I can't be done. This can't be the end. God, your purposes aren't complete, and I'm not giving up on them. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18 says this. We're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Like the psalmist who wrote, I believed it, and so I said it. We say what we believe. And what we believe is that the one who raised up the master Jesus will certainly raise us up with you alive. Every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. More and more grace, more and more people, and more and more praise. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times, watch this, are small potatoes. This is the message version. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now, 
are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. Listen, when you're set on God's purposes, no matter what people throw your way, just remember this. It's small potatoes. It's no big deal in the grand scheme of things. But you don't understand my loss, but he does. But you don't understand what they've done, but he does. But I don't know how to go through this. How do I get past this season in my life? He does. He knows. He's good. And he's faithful. You got to lift your eyes up. You got to realize there's something higher. God's got a purpose for me. And the last thing I want to leave you here with as we close out is simply this. That when the storms come because people brought them, just remember that you have something that they don't. Look at verse 25 in Acts 27. It says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen as he, just as he told me. Listen, when people bring storms into your life, there's a lot of different things at play that you can bank on being at work in their lives. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's just pride, right? Sometimes it's straight-up disobedience, no heeding to God. Sometimes it's a renewed mind. Sometimes it's a complete uh, lack of understanding of who God is and how he works. Sometimes it's a straight rejection of God. No matter what it is, in the midst of all these things, so they will show up in some shape, form, or fashion in the lives of those that bring drama to your life. But you have faith in God. I want you to consider that. Listen to what 1 John 5.4 says. It says, For everyone born of God is victorious and over." comes. Now, I know how you read that. You read it this way. Everyone, and you just thought about the general consensus. I want you to realize that God not only is speaking about us as a whole, but he's talking about everyone. 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 Each and every one of us not just as a body, but individually. Listen to what God is speaking to you right now. Because people bring trouble into our lives, but everyone, somebody say, I'm one. I'm one. Okay, I'm glad. Some of you starting to get this. For everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Watch what your victory is. Our continuing, persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Don't you realize that the anchor that you have, the one that holds you down, is the guarantee that you will always overcome. You are the cream of the crop, baby. You rise without even trying. You might be down for some time, but you will rise again. And so while they may have their fears. 
while they may bring their worries, while they may bring their habits and hang-ups, while they might be through, going through some troubling times, while they may live in, con- in consistent drama, you have faith in God. And by that faith, you can overcome. Let's stand here today. Listen to me closely. I believe this. I deliver a message, but it's God that speaks to you, not me. And today I believe that it's about time that for some of us we make up our mind. Choose life. Don't choose the drama. Don't buy the mindset, the mentality that you're a savior and you've got to save everyone because you believe in Jesus and they don't. Some people will reject the help that you can offer and you've got to be okay with moving on. That's wisdom, by the way. There's nothing cold or insensitive about that. You've got to know to what extent you can walk in peace. And after you've brought your peace and you've offered your peace, and you stay in peace, if they don't want it, you got to dust, take the dust off your feet, like Jesus said, and keep it moving. It's time to rise above the storms of life. It's time to rise above the storms that people bring into our lives and be free. Heavenly Father, today we say thank you. We believe, Lord, that today we've had a divine appointment In the midst of what people say is an oncoming storm, Lord, we live here knowing that you're with us. That your peace that surpasses all understanding is an anchor in our mind and in our hearts. And so we cling to you, Lord. We hold to you. Come on, if if you're there right now, you talk to God. You ain't got to go by what I say. You begin to thank him. You begin to lift your eyes up and look to God. And you begin to draw strength and peace, and wisdom, and understanding. And you begin to walk confident in this. He's at the very presence of the Father, and so are you. You're all right. And so we say thank you for that, Lord. It's very possible that there's someone here today, maybe you're joining us online, and man, you've been walking in the midst of storms, and you've been blaming people, but you haven't realized that you made some choices too. You chose to stay there. And the message to you today is God saying, leave that place. Choose life. Trust in me. And today you find yourself in a place of belief where you're saying, God, you've been speaking to me all this time. And you find yourself at a crossroads ready to make a choice. I encourage you with this. Choose the best that God has for you. Choose Jesus. He died for you to pay the price for your sins. But he also rose for you so that you can rise up out of every circumstance in life. Faith in him will not fail you. If you believe that today, pray this with us as we close out. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid a price for me. And I believe you will always love me. From this day forward, I trust you, I follow you, and I'm looking to the best in you. Today I declare you my Lord. 
my Savior and my God. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you prayed that, we're celebrating what God is doing in the lives of people. Now, Father, we leave here thanking you for all you've done. Walking in victory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you again next Sunday. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. If this message spoke to you, don't forget to let us know by tagging us on your social media stories at CTBNY or sharing with a friend. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in.